On this episode of Pin It Deep, we have a special guest along with our interview with Eli Cox. We had to go deep into the bullpen. We couldn't get Miles on. He was in New Jersey flying back, so we had to go into the literal bullpen for our guest. And we've got a great show for you guys as we recap the Georgia game, what we saw, what was hilarious. We burnt the ships, and then we didn't have a way to get back home. But we have a great episode for you guys. Before we get into that, we want to announce the winner for the signed balls from Pennant Deep this year. This week's winner, Michael Sutton, which according to his Twitter bio says he's a washed up athlete, so maybe these signs, Pennant Deep balls can help you get back into the groove of things. But for now, as always, subscribe, tell a friend, be a friend, and let's get into the episode. So others, mm, so go every time. So others may every time get some. Live from KS Bar and Grill, introducing Pennant Deep with Max Duffy and Miles Butler, presented by Kentucky Sports Radio. Welcome into a very special edition of Pennant Deep. Kentucky coming off the most historic game in their history. Obviously, it wasn't the result we wanted. They lose to Georgia 30-13. to They fall to 6-1. and Atop of KS Bar and Grill, it's myself, Brent Wayne Scott, former Ray Guy award winner, and now KSR superstar, Max Duffy. Yep. We tried to get Miles on. We did. Uh, but he's flying back from work, um, so we had a hard time with him. So we went deep, deep into the bullpen. Well, literally into the bullpen. So let me just give a little let – let me preface this by we had planned for this man to only be on the last segment, but we enjoyed the last segment so much we had to that we back. said let's redo the start because let's be honest, Brent, we're not a podcast that talks about football and the X's and O's and what our real nope. thoughts are. If you want that, go listen. To I Nick was Roush. just about to swear, go yep. listen to Nick Roush, the bald man. Go listen to KSR Radio. Go listen to the football podcast with whoever they've got on. Yep. I don't even care because I don't listen to that because they're not funny. If you want some just some humor into your life and make you smile for the day, you come here. We're not going to talk about, you know, the important mistakes that we made and how far we've come as a football program and what the 17-point loss means and are we going to make the playoffs. Even Be- though we did do that like Even three hours ago. Even though we did ago. do that three hours ago. But we're, you know, we're you know, self-aware enough to know that it wasn't good. So <laughs> I mean, it was good. It's just not We us. have one of the greatest cow interviews of all time Ever. coming up after the Eli Cox interview. You've got to stick around. You've got to stick around. Make sure even if Eli's boring, you just skip through Eli. Whatever you've got to do to get to this cow interview. We have a cow expert, scientist, philanthropist, to psychiatrist. Get to get us ready for Mississippi State ahead. To get ready for Mississippi State and the Cowboys Bells, we thought we would bring on a cow, a man of the cows. Hold, a on, cow. hold on. You are screaming way too much. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep going. Whatever we needed to do to get someone on that knew Mississippi State, we've now got him on. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Clark from Clark Family Farms. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Aaron, thank you for being here. How does it feel to be sitting on the couch with us? Royalty. That that was a beautiful intro. I don't think I've ever felt that special in my whole entire life. Uh, But it it feels pretty good up here. You know, it's a a hot seat. I will say that, though. Did you watch the game? What did did you think? You know, how's Kentucky football? Do you even watch Kentucky football, or do the cows take up too much of your time? You know, on occasion. We're talking about a fan. Like, I'm usually the fan perspective. Now we're getting a fan fan perspective. Yep. 
I, I say I, I'd watch I watch all the games. I try to go to as many as I can. I was happy with the game. Um, some people you that I heard. You lost? You know what? <laughs> We're not – let's not be serious here. Okay. But they've come a long way. They're fighting. That's a heck of a win, heck of a cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and under. I great mean, team's cover. I got you know, both of those. Very rich man after Saturday. Well, oh, let's yeah. talk about that exactly. real quick because it's, it's the thing that everyone wants to talk about. Did Mark Stoops bet on the game or not? Because he clearly decided at the end of the game we needed some points. Now, there's some reasons why he did that. Called a timeout with three seconds left. Called the timeout. Just said, no, we need the points. Now, for those of you that are going to take this too serious, yes, he got the touchdown so we could look better in terms of the playoffs. And that's mm-hmm. the only thing that was Because in the Kentucky mm-hmm. somehow – well, not somehow. Like, they deserve there, it. There they is are, a chance. Pinch yourself. Kentucky legitimately but will be in the how good time. of a moment was that just to see the little smirk on his face as he called the timeout and said, we need a score? So, here's the thing. You weren't at the game, Aaron. Mm-mm. You had already left the stadium by this point. Oh, you yep. said, My uh-uh. phones did not allow me to stay. You said, uh-uh, game's done. Yep. Won't happen. But I'm sitting there, and there's going to be a few bleeps in this part. They call a timeout. All the Georgia fans are like, boo, what the f***, Mark Stoops? Why are you calling a timeout? And, set the third, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, because like, we want to cover. And everyone's just like, f*** you. And I'm like, so – they he wasn't up. kidding when there was a few bleeps. That sounded like when they asked Mark Stoops to say his favorite yep. dance, yes. and he just yep. started taking off. But continue. Well, I mean, that's really what happened. And then, they, they, then Kentucky goes and covers, so I gave him one more, you know. And you'll, and you'll hear from Eli Cox a little bit later about they uh, got into a fight on the field. Someone mm-hmm. threw a swing at him, and he give, tells us the whole story about yep. that. So stay tuned for that. But I will say Georgia fans were very nice. They understood they were happy that I got to go home rich. I told them I would buy them shots later in Athens. They didn't take me up on it. Uh, but, you know, pretty pretty happy that Kentucky covered. Aaron, what did you think? I was stoked. <laughs> I threw my phone up in the air, and yep. then I realized the under also hit. Yep, I had so both of those as well. I did a small circle. So I was just running around. For those of you, and I'm guessing it's a lot of you that have not been to Aaron's house, uh, the cows can almost walk up to his front door. That's how much he loves the cows. The cows actually come in sometimes to use Can't the bathroom. Yep. Sometimes if they need to use the oven, the microwave, borrow some milk, some mm-hmm. sugar, mm-hmm. anything like that. The cows Eat can walk up. Yep. Eat a steak. Yep, they'll come up. Mm-hmm. Do they? Do you watch them or do you find them coming up to the window when Kentucky games happen and just poking their head in just to see what the score is and relay it back to the other cows on the farm? Yeah, there's a few that always come up to the window, and I actually open up the window sometimes on a nice day because, you know what, they deserve to see it as well. It's It's been a hell of a season so and, far. So. And, and I've heard a rumor that most of the cows are named after former and current O-linemen of the Kentucky football team. Oh, yeah, we, we've got plenty. Yeah. Uh, my, my most profitable one so far, just, you know, uh, belly ratio-wise, has to be my, my – Youngest calf, Drake. <laughs> it's a be- beautiful fella. Drake Jackson, of course, yes. And uh, yeah, I think if Drake Jackson actually inserted himself onto your farm, I don't think you'd even know the difference, to be honest. No, no. Wow. Um, the field goal blocks was one thing I would love to talk mm. about. Um, speaking of big men trying to block, uh, it wasn't good enough. And that was just something that I'd like to be serious about for 30 seconds. It wasn't good enough. It's cost us games. Brent, you can comment on this as well. Matt Ruffalo has now had four kicks blocked throughout the season, two PATs, two field goals. That needs to be sorted out. Again, we'll talk to Eli about that. But, Brent, we need to make field goals. I'm with you. And we talked about this um, in in the first run of the segment and before we started. Like, from an outside perspective, it's like these things are so automatic. Like, field goal blocks are so rare. This cannot be something that happens 
maybe it happens once or twice, maybe in a season, but four times to the first seven weeks feels inexcusable. Um, but I, like we got into it with Eli about that Georgia defense is is nuts. The way they rush uh, the, the the special teams on kickoff, set, whatever you want to call that formation. I love that you knew none of them. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, well, it's a PAT field goal yep. block, whatever yep. you run. Um, yeah, so it's it was a different game. Yeah, I want to say to the so, people that have kind of tuned in and the only thing that they're listening for is what happened on the field goal blocks, let me just preface it by saying, yes, it needs to get better, but that is three first-round D linemen mm-hmm. going up against one guard, as you'll hear what Eli says, um, and it's that's a tough thing, and that's not making excuses, and that's, not, that's something we need to sort out, but that's very unique in college football ever. Not even just like for a team in college football. It's unique ever that they have like four or five first-round D linemen on a team. And to have to go up against that is incredibly tough. But we need to improve it because there is going to be a game this season where Matt Ruffalo needs to make some big kicks. There already has been. And that needs to be sorted out. Um, Especially when you're staring down. Look, 11-1, and again, sticking with staying serious, 11-1, a playoff push is definitely on the table for Kentucky. But if you want to get there – these next two weeks are by far the most important at Mississippi State on the road. Cowbells are going to be going. That's going to be a crazy environment where Kentucky might be finding themselves in a tight game. Mm-hmm. And then Tennessee, they look a lot better than we think they did. I still think it'll, they'll handle Tennessee fairly well, but these are two weeks that, like, Kentucky, they can really slip up if they're not focused. The cow specialist. Was there anything you took from the game, anything you noticed, anything you'd like to see improved? I'll, I'll pass it on to Coach Stoops myself personally because I'm sure he'll be, yeah. he'll be eager to hear. I, you guys covered it. You got to make the kicks. Stoop shows you how to do it. I, yeah, there should does. be no question. Yep. 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 He does. Uh, but no other than that, I mean, I thought it. You were pretty happy about how we went, weren't you? Oh yeah. From a farming perspective. Oh yeah. Big guys playing big football. That's I'm I'm fine with that. Just let's let's go real quick before we get to the Eli Cox uh, interview. What's the hardest thing to farm in the world? Tobacco. What's the easiest? Cows. So you're taking so you're lazy. So you're a boy. Yep. Doing what you got to do. Well. Or doing what you want to do. You know, the cows are easy once you get them trained to how you do it. But we st- we take it a step up. You okay. know, Clark Family Farms, that's men. That is men. Todd, Clark, and me, I, men. Rudy, not so much. Rudy, boy. They have a, they have a brother that we love dearly. And uh, let's just say Rudy's never really stepped foot onto that farm, Both but he's definitely he's definitely a Lance type. But Oof. I'm I'm eager to talk some more cows and talk some more mm-hmm. farming. And I'm for those really of you that have tuned in, now. thinking, what have I turned on? Have I turned on the agricultural podcast? Nope. Have I to- have this I turned on the skim milk podcast? Have I turned on the cow podcast? No, you have not. Anything this is, is still pinned deep. But if you want to hear some more cow talk, mm-hmm. stick around for this post Eli Cox interview because we will get into it. Brent, I want one minute before we jump to Eli. Quick general Georgia thoughts and where we can go for the rest of the season. We talked about this um, before we got started. Your expectation was you're upset, you're disappointed, we wanted to win this game. Of course we did. Um, Kentucky's fan perspective, being here is still a pinch yourself moment, but this isn't the last time Kentucky will be here. I will be shocked if they are not playing in Atlanta within the next six years. Playoff, still very much on the table. You're going to need a little bit of help. Iowa losing helps. ACC is not going to get a team in. Go ahead, 
think on that. So we got to be big Georgia fans the rest of the way. Uh, and Kentucky's obviously got to take care of business. But I feel really good about where we're at. I think at worst, Kentucky ends up in the Peach Bowl, which is like at worst, like, wow, that's Crazy. that's amazing. So uh, I'm still very content with the team. Obviously wanted to win Saturday, but uh, they're not far away. They really aren't. And I'll give my take real quick. I thought, uh, and I've said this multiple times now, Brent's probably sick of hearing it. I'm really, really disappointed. Number one thing for me is that we were not able to compete on a level that I thought we could with the number one team in the country. I would have loved to be a one score off them slash it comes down to a final drive. I really thought we could be that team. We're still just slightly off it. Doesn't take away from how extremely impressed I am that we've been able to be a top 10 team easy this season. Mm -hmm. We could honestly be a top five team. Like that's not even just getting carried away. We're just not many teams are going to get that close to Georgia. So I think, you know, really disappointed we couldn't compete maybe a touch better with the number one team, but super excited for the rest of the season. I really think this buy is going to do wonders for us to be able to get over the disappointment, hit these last five games running, and see what it comes. I mean, 11-1 and would be absolutely unbelievable for Kentucky fans. And I understand the history that we've come through and all that. It's just it was disappointing to not be a number one team when maybe you get your hopes up they could be. Kentucky will be at this stage again. And I think under Mark Stoops, for if he stays here another 10 years, which is very, very, very possible, I think there's a good chance Kentucky flirts with that number one rating at some stage. Aaron, we're going to get you to stick around for the post-Eli Cox interview. Is that fine with you? Yeah, that's perfect. Let's get to the Cox. Yep, go Cox. Right. Joining us now on top of KS Bar and Grill, by the way, a very hot KS Bar and Grill. It just all of a sudden, winter came outside or fall came outside and they just cranked up the heat in here. But regardless, joining us now, Member of it, the it is steaming wall. in here, I'll give you that. It's been, well, it could have been. I thought it might have been because we were going to burn down Athens from the weekend, and yep. it's the residual heat, but unfortunately it's not. No, Well, it's because Eli walked in. Correct, correct. I'll Eli, a compliment. how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, I'm doing well. How are Mid-season you ESPN yep. All-American Eli Cox, if you want to give him the proper introduction, please. Touchdown score Eli Cox. Correct. How, how are things, Eli? <laughs> They're good. They're good. We had a... Tough weekend this week, but we're looking forward to the bye week and getting healed up and having a little bit of time off and actually having a Saturday where we can sit back and watch some college football, spend some time with family. It's going to be a nice weekend for us. How does that feel to kind of – I don't mean I used to be a player, but tell people how it feels to kind of just be able to take that deep breath, have that bye week, reassess, reset everything, probably spend some time with family, I'm guessing. What will you get up to the bye week and how do you feel about it? Well, I mean – this being like my first year starting, I think I'm going to have a better appreciation for the bye week because in years past, I mean, I wasn't too stressed. I wasn't too sore Saturday because I wasn't playing any at all. And But it's going to be nice, like just kind of like a mental reprieve because, I mean, you, you play a game Saturday, you fly back that night or that afternoon. Sunday you're watching film, getting treatment, and then Monday you're jamming in a new game plan from for next week. So, I mean, it's really – it's. It's a lot mentally between, like, classes and stuff like that. So it's going to be a nice little break where we're not having to absolutely cram a new game plan in, in seven days. We actually have, like, a little bit of a break where we can work a little bit on us and then really get started on Mississippi State. And, and we're lucky we got you out on a Monday afternoon uh, this week just with the scheduling of this show. Talk us through the mood in the locker room uh, on a Monday. Everyone's kind of had the weekend for it to sink in, the result. Maybe what Coach Stoops talked about in the team meeting that like we had on Monday and – and what the rundown will be for the rest of the week? I mean, I mean, obviously not the outcome we wanted on Saturday. I think we all wanted to. I mean, it was a historic game for Kentucky football, and so we really would have preferred to have a different outcome. But, you know, at the end of the day, Georgia just played better than we did. They executed the finer details, which was really coach's, like, main emphasis this past week was, I mean, you can't 
go into that environment playing that good of a team without proper execution of all the little details in every single game plan, whether it's the way an offensive lineman steps, the way a receiver blocks, the way DBs, I don't know what they do, but the way they <laughs> read their coverages and things like that nature. Like, you got to be on the money with every single thing you do. So one little mistake is just absolutely magnified against a talent level like Georgia has. And a lot of respect to them, they're a very good football team. And they got the better hand, the upper hand on a Saturday, and they just had better execution overall and ended up with the win. So kind of talk about that a little bit. We'll, we'll circle back to, to Georgia and obviously that defense of theirs and how you all fared against them. But you said how cool it was to play in the most historic game in Kentucky football's history thus far. Being a few minutes down the road from Kroger Field, having an appreciation for Kentucky football, a different perspective than uh, most of the guys on the team, how cool was it to play in that game and, you know, just give us an insight of how long you've been a Kentucky fan and just how awesome this experience has been. Not even just the Georgia game, just your last three years, two or three years. I mean, I remember uh, even when we had LSU come to town in, like, 2007, my dad I – was, I was only, like, six years old when that game was being played, so I wasn't allowed to go just because how rowdy things were going to be. But I remember my mom and my dad and my brother. I don't want to dunk on your dad, but that sucks because I was seven when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was – and I, mean, I don't know if they had enough tickets, but, like, my dad and brother went with his brother and a cousin of ours. And I remember them coming back, just how stoked everybody was. I remember watching on TV, seeing the goalposts come down. And I've been a fan for a long time, and my parents have had season tickets. And so just to see, like, the ebbs and flows of the Kentucky football program, like the highs never stayed high very long, and the lows, we seem to be in there for a while as a program. And just to see, like, Coach Stoops kind of, like, resurrect this program and just the, the way he's, like, turned things around, really. I mean, we went from a team that was in the bottom of the SEC going 2-10 and 10 with maybe a 1,000 people in the stands playing Vanderbilt, like, so, I mean, we're selling out games three weeks in advance. We're winning seven-plus games every year, going to bowl games. And so now he's – he wanted to make us a respected program, and he's taken that step. And now we're taking it a step further to where we're a nationally respected program, someone that can constantly be on that stage for things like New Year's Six Bowls and competing for the SEC East title like we did this past Saturday in Georgia. So, Max and I talked about that in the first segment. Just, you know, obviously you want to start every season. You want to be like 12-0, and national championships, let's do it. But now that the Georgia game is over with and you have the perspective of being a Kentucky fan, what is your mindset still being at 6-1, and one, knowing what's ahead of you, knowing you just faced that great Georgia defense? Is everyone still kind of like, yeah, we lost, that sucks, but like we're still very firmly in a historic season? Yeah, I mean, I think like – I mean, as much as it stinks to lose on Saturday, we obviously don't want to do that. But, I mean, I think – Ultimately, we can't look down and, like, hang our heads about our performance. I mean, Georgia's beaten a lot of teams a lot worse on Saturdays than they did to us. And I think it just shows, like, the steps we're taking as a program to where we're taking it one step closer to being ready for that spotlight, being ready for that moment. And I think it's coming very soon that we'll be able to take those and take that next step and win those games. So talk about Georgia just a little bit. Obviously, it's – I mean, just straightforward, it's hard to beat a team like Georgia. That defense was nasty. They're – entire defensive front is probably going to go in the first round. How was it going up against that those guys? How was the matchup there? I mean, it was it was a tough matchup. I mean, like you said, those are all very talented football players. They're experienced, too. I mean, they have – I think the nose guard was a redshirt junior. He's been playing for a couple of years. I mean, they have guys on the edge that have been experienced, experienced linebackers, especially being in the same system. I mean, Kirby Smart is a defensive guy. They've been running his defensive system for a while. And so they knew, it, they knew the ins and outs of their defense, their assignments, and on top of being – no discipline in their assignment. They're just extremely physically gifted. And so 
that's just like the standard of what the best in college football is nowadays. And so, I mean, it was a great opportunity for us to be able to have the opportunity to play against them. Because, I mean, if you want to go to the NFL and you want to be at the top of college football, I mean, that's that's who you have to be. That's who you have to be able to compete against. So I think it's a great opportunity for us as a program to have games like that. And all respect in the world to Georgia, they were a very talented football team. And it was, it was tough, obviously, doing that just with how talented they are. Like, you can't make any mistakes when you're on the field. Otherwise, it'll expose them even worse than, like, a smaller team would. And it was just a good opportunity. Why well, I said it was tough, but it was also like kind of fun to like just be able to go and have that competition. Like, yeah, like this is pretty serious. There's some serious implications. These are really talented guys. It's fun to gauge where you're at as a program playing against things like that. So let's talk about that a little bit more in depth in terms of a ranking. You've now gone up against arguably, well, not even arguably, the best D-line in the country, okay? Yeah. How good are they out of 10? How good did you guys do out of 10? And out of 10 for the Eli Cox football game on the weekend, how good was Eli Cox on the weekend? So for the, them out of 10, I would have to – I mean, that was probably a 10 out of 10. Like, yeah. I don't know if you'll see a more talented front seven top to bottom. Because, I mean, their starters went out, and when their second string came in, it didn't, like, seem to miss a beat. Because yeah, those sure. guys coming in behind them were four and five stars, all former All-Americans who were in that same system learning under those guys who are a couple years older who are also four and five star All-American guys, so, like, the depth that they had was really evident, and that was something that was tough because they just – I mean, they just reload. Yeah. And it was really – it was fun to play against them. It was a good time, like, being able to have that tough competition. The O-line for, – for, so, for you guys, the O-line out of 10 and then Eli Cox out of 10 on the weekend. O-line out of 10. I mean, it obviously wasn't our best performance. We didn't run the ball the way we wanted to because um, that's kind of been our MO as the big blue wall. And so, that reputation kind of took a hit. I mean, we talk about – when you have a brand like that being like the big blue wall and playing for Kentucky, especially offensive line, you have that brand of playing physical football where we run the ball successfully on teams that we play, regardless of who you are. And as a whole, we didn't accomplish that. And personally, I mean, I didn't put my best foot forward to accomplish that either. Obviously, we didn't run the ball the way we would like to. And watching the film, there's mistakes that I could have made better, like little little things here and there. It's like, oh, I probably could have gotten more vertical with that step. Or if I had just gotten a hand inside, that would have been a better block. Maybe that would have sprung him. And so, I mean – Personally, it wasn't my best game at all because you just get those, like I said, those little things that you can get away with playing against lesser talent levels. You couldn't get away with Georgia, and they make you pay for it. Don't give too much away here to the fans and to and the n countless number of Georgia fans listening, probably Kirby yep. Smart himself. Yep. But I want to know, they mentioned a couple of things on the broadcast. I've rewatched it on TV. That's how excited I get about these games. They said that the commentator had a theory that you guys were – getting to the line of scrimmage quickly out of the huddle like we always do, but snapping the ball fast to get away from their movements and shifts that they do to try and get you to jump. That's question number one, so remind yourself of that. And two, again, without giving away to the whole of the SEC, what was our, how did our game plan change from some of the other defenses we've come up against in particular? And maybe in a general sense, what were we trying to do against Georgia to exploit their defense? So for the first question about like, <clears throat> about like the movement and everything, so like, Obviously, that was something that they've shown on film. Yeah. And, like, we've seen them do against every team. So, that's not really a secret that they like to pre-snap move. Yeah. And it works to some extent because, I mean, we're trying to get our calls in as offensive line. Will's getting his cadence and he's sending guys in motion and doing different things. And when you're trying to really, tone, like, tune in to Will, whether he, whatever the cadence is, and then you have 90,000 fans screaming on top of that, you're really lasered into any noise that you think would be Will. Yeah. And so, when a team can just yell, move really quick, or, like, clap their hands really fast yeah. – 
it can kind of stall you and get you to jump. And so they've been successful at doing that to a couple teams. So like, well, they we made Arkansas just, pay for it big yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you saw what it did to Florida playing here yeah. with the noise and stuff. It plays a serious factor in that regard. So we really we saw that on film that they like to do the move. So part of our game plan was to be able to get the ball snapped before they make that move call and before they shift to avoid having any of those little things happen. And the game plan in general, can you give us any sort of generalized feel of what we were trying to do against them that maybe we haven't done or maybe we continue to do to try and go against the best defense in the country? Because that's what I'm interested in. It's like where did we feel like maybe some of their weaknesses were? We Well, I mean, it's hard to see real weaknesses on film with that defense just because how successful they've been all year. But, like, at the end of the day, you have to, like, look at – our matchups, like who do we have that can – who are our playmakers? And at the end of the day, we just wanted to get the ball into our playmakers' hands and have those guys that are special be special with the ball in their hands and make special plays. And that was really kind of the way we wanted to – we just needed to execute our offense and do our things well. We didn't want to do anything – like one thing Coach Cohen talked about, no one needed to be Superman. Everyone just needed to do their job to the best of their ability. And no one had to do anything extra. It was kind of how we approached that game. Like, let's not try and do too much. Because the moment you do too much and try to help someone out, someone else out too much is when you forget about your main assignment. And especially with offense, I mean, we have to have 11 guys all on the money doing their job just for one play to be successful. Talk about Coach Cohen. You just mentioned him. Let's, let's talk about him. Uh, Obviously, we used to have Coach Grand, and you've been under both. Uh, what's been Coach Cohen's difference in coming in? How have you found Coach Cohen so far, and, and what way does he try and lead you guys? Coach Cohen's been really good for us. I mean, especially bringing in some of those. He came from the NFL, so he brings in some of that NFL experience, some of the NFL playbook, which is a little bit different than college. Like, you can just see some of our operations, the things we do are a little bit different, and especially from last year, the way we ran a more college offense where Coach Grant has been very successful all over the college ball. I mean, just being able to run the ball, being able to pass the ball like he did at Cincinnati. And so it's just a different system, which is just a lot of fun to learn, especially because we're able to learn different schemes of football. Like we brought in some more like things like wide zone, which we weren't running a whole lot of before, different types of like gap scheme runs and different types of protections that they use in the NFL. And like, it's kind of cool now watching NFL games like, oh, that's we, we do something similar to that. Or, oh, yeah, we, we know what that is because we've watched it on the Rams film. We've seen on things we do, like stuff we're trying to install. So that's been – that's been really cool, and I think uh, it's really going to ultimately help prepare us for the league. I love the nerdiness too. of, like, yeah. it's so fun and yep. it's so cool to be able to put in a new playbook and have to learn a new playbook. And to say, I think that's outstanding because the person in me that doesn't want to go to class and doesn't want to ever study says, screw, get handing <laughs> out the new playbook. Like, I'm just happy knowing what I know, and let's just do that. So I think that's hilarious. I want to say, that's one thing we've noticed with literally – Every offensive guest we've had in here, whether it's Will, Chris, Wandell, all of them have said it's really cool turning on NFL uh, on Sunday and being like, oh, we run that play, or oh, yeah. we do that. Um, and that brings me to my question, too. College at times can be a very a gimmicky sport. Has there been a moment thus far with Liam Cohen where maybe that NFL offense where it's just straight up man to man and the schemes have been almost to a detriment because the defense is doing something that's so gimmicky it's just hard to to sort of adapt that NFL style into the college game I don't know if it's been gimmicky per se with like the schemes because I mean like one thing I I think any football coach will tell you it's not the scheme it's there's no perfect play call there's no perfect scheme it's ultimately all about like how you're going to execute it the coach stoops you call the play yeah, you call the play. he loves doing that. Like, you know yeah. what, I, I can't make the perfect call. You have to do it. Yeah. So, like, why don't you call the play yeah, and see how that goes for you? And so I think maybe not gimmicky, but just, like, also, yeah, like, Coach Cohen just got here in the spring, 
yeah. and we brought in a lot of new faces. I mean, Will got here in the summer, Wandell got here in the spring, and so like, I think you've kind of seen just like the growing pains that come along with putting in a whole new mm-hmm. offensive scheme and having new faces and integral parts of our offense. It's just something we had to work together to learn, like what does Coach Cohen like to do in these situations? How does our quarterback handle that situation? Or how does our offensive line handle this situation? Because it's, it's just different because he has to call plays with 11 people and their assignments in mind, and it's a lot going on. So I think you have kind of just see us really start to hit our stride here soon with just being able to actually adapt to the personnel and really get a feel for each other as an offense. I want to say it's very evident, too, because, you know, after the Missouri game, which in hindsight, it's like that Missouri defense is a little shaky, but we've kind of seen that, too. Like, against Chattanooga, it's kind of rough for the offense. Florida was kind of rough. And I think there was a consensus of, okay, LSU, it's like it either gets going or it's just going to be the same thing we've seen for years. And it did. And it goes out. And even though only 13 points got put up on the board against Georgia, Liam Cohen called a hell of a game. We were driving the ball at some stages where we had, like, I think we had nine play, 12 play, maybe 22 play drives. Um, Sometimes we shot shot ourselves in the foot a few times with some penalties, but we were definitely moving it. Um, and Will was a huge part of that. <coughs> Sorry, well. excuse me. Huge part of that on the weekend. I think the most completions by a Kentucky player away in a long, long time. Well, not to mention he had a lot. And this is not to, to dunk on the receivers because it's again playing against that Georgia defense is hard. But he there was at one stage in the game. I want to say it was third quarter. He had five incompletions. One of them was that almost fumble, almost yep. wasn't type play where he got sacked, and then the other four were drops. Yeah. So Will played great. Talk to us about Will. So. I want to know because, like, I'm so interested in all, some of this stuff. Yeah. Is he a cringy type in the huddle? Like, even before the game, is he, like, coming up with speeches that you know he's written down? Or is he trying to, like, yell at everyone and be like, you know, this is our one chance. This is our one moment. And you could almost film him and put it on a movie. <laughs> or is or it is like he... Russell Wilson where he does the two-minute drive when he knows cameras are yeah, watching? Yeah, which is, is the Is word. he corny or is, like, is he corny or is he good? Like, what's Will like? No, Will, Will's been really good in the huddle. He – um one thing he did really well is even, like, coming in as a new guy is he really didn't want to be, like, kind of shy and kind of, like, feel things out. He really came in and he was like, yeah, I want to be the starting quarterback. I want to be a leader of this team. And he did everything he could, obviously won that responsibility and did everything he could to be that type of leader for us. Because, I mean, as a quarterback, whether you like it or not, you're the leader of the offense. Yep. You're more than likely the leader of the team. And that's just kind of the role that position carries. And I think he's done well taking that in stride, meeting a lot of new guys. Like, I don't think any of us had ever met him before, unless someone maybe had met him at a recruiting camp or something like that, or at, like, the Citrus Bowl. None of us knew who he was, and he didn't know any of us. So he did a really good job of, like, trying to get to know everybody, getting to learn how they tick and, like, how he can lead everybody on this football team. And, I kind of to your question on game day and in the huddle, he's very focused. Because, like, in the huddle, you can't have, like, a chaotic presence because mm-hmm. it's all about how you carry yourself in that body language, especially with a quarterback. Because, I mean, all eyes are on you. You're the one giving us the play from coach. And I think he does a really good job in the huddle of just being, like, very cool and collected. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. Like, he obviously gets excited for good plays. We see that. But, like, if a bad play happens, he's not, like, sulking, dropping his head and, like, letting it affect him. And he's, he carries that confidence with him in the huddle. And I think it kind of gives all of us that, that comfort and that confidence. Like, yep, this is the play. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to go out and do it. And I know he's only got positive things to say to Will because he, you, he takes you to dinner every Sunday yep. night. So, <laughs> just, and just I know, of the dinner, yeah. Like, he knows That's the only the, reason. He knows the way to an O-lineman's heart, which is just – continual yep. non-stop food What'd or you, you can eat buffets what do you order and how good have the sunday night dinners been the sunday night dinners have been absolutely fantastic like i want a huge shout out to will for getting that done for us <laughs> i mean that is can i give a shout out to will too because every time i go over to to lance's place where eli lives and there's always leftover malone's bread <laughs> i'm always so happy so for 
really quickly for those that don't know, um, Will Levis got a deal with Malone's where he gets to take the whole O line and any of the other quarterbacks, I believe, every Sunday night for an all-you-can-eat dinner with no restrictions. So, as you can imagine, that's pretty great. Sorry, Eli, continue. Yeah, so yeah. it has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, obviously, you know, offensive linemen, we love to eat. And so being <laughs> treated to a free meal is always wonderful. And if you go to Malone's, you can't not have a steak. Like, you, you have to get a steak. And so my go-to is always to get the ribeye, Oscar-style, and get it cooked medium. Okay. Right What's Oscar-style? What is Oscar-style? Oscar-style is like they put crab meat. And then Bernays sauce, or Bernays sauce, I think it's like oh, It's just like a, a surf and turf almost? I mean, it's a little okay. surf and turf, yeah. And then, like, a little bit of asparagus on top. That's how you know someone goes to Malone's every week when they have, like, Oscar style. Yeah, like, yeah. They're just cool enough. Um, to I'm well, so I mean, yeah, you can't just get the plain ribeye. Do like, you just go to the dessert? We we have dabbled with the dessert. Oh, I bet. I, I mean, bet. if you've ever been to Malone's, you, if you've ever ordered the chocolate cake, yeah. it's not a slice of cake. It's like, no, Huge. this is a yeah. four-layer chocolate cake, yeah. and one order is one-third of the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it's one-third of an entire yeah. cake. Like, yeah. I ordered it, uh, like, a, two weeks ago, and I was still eating cake, like, four days ago. Like, it's <laughs> Thursday, and I'm offering, like, my girlfriend and my roommate, like, do you guys want any cake? Cause, like, I can't eat any more of this. Um, Mason Wolf's probably the only person I've ever seen devour that thing in about an hour. So, <laughs> as you can imagine. I believe it, man. Um, another, one on, another guy that's a leader on the team, the O-line, um, Luke Fortner. Yeah. Leader or actual father figure? Because he is about 30 years older than all of you. He's be, <laughs> he seems like he's been on the UK team for about 25 years. How's he? he? He's been really good to us. I mean, obviously, he's the most experienced guy of the bunch, having been there for what seems like forever. Cause I remember like watching his like recruitment when I was just a UK fan. Yeah. When I was in like middle school. When he was like on the side solving the crisis of splitting the atom and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, he's creating like hydrogen bomb technology yeah. and learning how to a cool <laughs> mastercraft engineer. What's absolutely wild is like, he'll tell stories about like, Oh, with like a song comes on the locker room. Like, Oh, this song's like so good. I remember like hearing this my freshman year and like our new guys like Jagger and David on the online. Like, Oh yeah. Like, I, was I heard that, that song in, like, seventh or eighth grade. It's <laughs> like, dude, wild. you are old. <laughs> that is actually wild. Oh, wait, what was his first year there? Was it 14, 15? Uh, he's been there. This is his sixth year, right? So yeah. probably yeah, started in 15. So that's crazy because I remember being in high school, too, watching those kids, like, hanging on every play for a, for a Kentucky game. And then it's just funny, too, to experience it now to where, like, Eli and Jagger and the guys, they look at Luke and they're like, yeah, like, we were at those games, too. Yeah, that's and, so and, funny. and you don't even realize and it. So cool. I mean, you're all peers, like, in the locker room and, like, in the facility. Like, obviously, you have the older guys who kind of, like, lead the way. But, like, you don't think of them as, like, that much older than you until you realize, like, there is that pretty big age gap Luke's, between Luke's such an annoying dick guys. sometimes. He's doing his second Masters. He's doing the NBA program. Oh. And I've said to him multiple times, how's it going? He's like, dude, it's so easy. I'm like, oh, okay, smart ass, like, sick. Like, great, congratulations. Good for you, good for you. Um, hey, back to the game real quick, Eli. Um, there's been so many questions about this on other ga- game, uh, yes, recaps, on radio shows, etc. cetera. Um, the field goal blocks so far. We've had four this season, two field goals and two PATs. What's been going on there? I mean, that's just something we have to work on in practice, obviously. Like, once, one, once you have it happen to one team, like we had it happen the one time in the season, every other team is going to yeah. exploit it. So it's just something we have to work on as a team, like in practice and just making sure we're getting lower. And field goal is is tough <laughs> yeah. for block. Like it is not a fun job, but it's something that like, it's just like one of those sacrificial, like, you know, we have to bow up and we have to do it. Yeah. 
And, like, I mean, Georgia, I mean, they brought three of their biggest guys, and they were, like, every week we saw them film, like, you got to be ready. They're going to pick one, and they're going to run down your throat with all three of them onto one guy. And so, I mean, it's just tough. It's just something we have to obviously be better at and obviously help out that third phase of the game and just winning those. It's funny you say that because I remember, like, with my limited time of being involved in practice, I'd spend a lot of time around you guys. And the conversation, like – 80% 80% of the time when we were talking about uh, like field goals or whatever was just you guys going, man, I'm on field goal again this year. Or like <laughs> some guy would be like, I'm not on field goal this year. Like I'm so happy. And like the starters, normally once you're like, the, I, I would assume DK is not on field goal this year because we normally like give the our maybe one or two best guys off field goal and they're just so happy when they get to that point of their career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's something you kind of like. You are like I ever since I've I don't know if it's like an unwritten rule, but like usually the starting center yeah. isn't on field goal. Yeah. Just because like you need to protect the snapping hand, things yeah. like that. Because I can play with the club. Starting center really can't. Yeah. But um Who'd they pick this week? Who Georgia pick is the one guy? They just they, they just lined it's like last week they yeah. line up on the left side. Yeah. Like, all right, we're just gonna blow up the left side. This okay. week they just picked the right side. Yeah. It was just like lucky. Was it you? Was it game. were you the you unlucky know. one or was it horsey was, or who was I it? I was the lucky one that I got to line <laughs> up on the left side. Because I looked over and I was like, shoot man, like you almost like kind of say a silent prayer for yeah. it's like buddy, like that job is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Because, I mean you can't move forward. So yeah. you have no momentum going forward at all when you're trying to block on field goal. Yeah. And they have all the momentum coming yeah. forward. And you just have to step, embrace, and hold, and just like do your best, to like stay strong and firm in there. And it's just Mason it's, Wolf. It's hard. Mason Wolf as a backup O lineman always used to be on field goal, and he just said the sigh of relief when you realize that they're going after the other side of the field goal block was so good, and you know you've got absolutely no responsibility, and yeah, you just yeah. say a little prayer for the other side, and then you just enjoy the rest of it. And being the guard, so the guy right beside the long snapper. If you have to be on field goal, it's like that and, like, the wings, the more favorable positions. Because everyone – you can't touch the long – I don't know what the rules are exactly. You can't exactly touch the long snapper. Yeah. Or, like, you can't hit them while his head's down. It's so like, naturally, they will keep their head down the whole time. Yeah. So, you can't hit them. So, they're really not bringing a whole lot up through the middle. But it's like having that sweet spot in between the right in the middle and then on the edge. It's really tough. Here's my question. What is the conversation like walking off the field or after that, after you've had had a – field goal blocked not only once but twice is it pretty contentious or is it just like oh man you just got blown up by three first round picks I mean it's it's not like oh man I guess we'll get them next time because I mean it obviously is, is something we have For to sure. get correct and we have to do better at as long because I mean you never know when that's going to be I mean you saw it in the Florida game us blocking the field goal was what made that real big difference it shifted momentum and like we don't want to be on the other end of that in a close game, especially like playing in the SEC, because they're all most games you play are going to be close. I mean, everyone's good at football in the SEC, so like, we don't want to be on the other end where that is the play that loses us the game. So you don't have to get too detailed, but like, do you guys, like, what's said? How do you guys hold each other accountable in that moment? Well, it's just there's a technique to it, and so like, we obviously just have to get better at that. Practice it during practice, because I mean, field goal obviously like when you're an offensive lineman, it's not the main focal point of your practice. So I think it's just something we're gonna probably end up setting setting aside more time to because we just need to be better at attention to those details and making sure we're taking that proper technique and actually being able to bow up and be, get under those guys' pads and hold strong. Talking about setting up yourself with better technique and, and uh, you know, maybe making sure it's a focus. Boxing training maybe for the next couple of weeks with you. I saw you copped a little left or right hook to the jaw <laughs> at one stage. And yeah, uh, yeah. What, what happened there? Talk us through that. So this was like at the very end of the game and, we get the extra point blocked, which is 
terrible and we're all like because once you you can kind of hear the ball get blocked and you hear the fans get really loud just like oh shoot that's not supposed to happen after we kick an extra point they shouldn't get excited so then we're all kind of looking around trying to find the ball because with an extra point if they block it a certain way like if it goes over the line of scrimmage and they catch it they can advance it for another two points for themselves yep. so we're like shoot we can't have them score again so we're trying to find the ball running after it and one other defensive lineman and you, you hate being in this scenario when you're chasing when you're a slow guy like us, O lineman chasing after a guy with the ball <laughs> is never a good situation to be in. No. And one of my teammates was on the receiving end of a pretty like blindside. I mean, they end up penalizing for the blindside. Yeah, I mean, smacked. came out of nowhere and just yeah. clean shot blindside. I mean, no idea it was coming, and I was just like really upset. So I decided to have a conversation with him about like what he was the doing. The integrity of his actions. Yeah, I was like, you know, this yep. is just. I wanted to have a cordial sit down conversation. Very. <laughs> Much like very we're genuine. having right now, yeah. Yeah, very genuine, just like we are here, just sit down. This is going to end with a brawl. Over a cup of coffee, and he just didn't seem to like what I had to say. And didn't so like he coffee. Just wanted to swing and punch. No, he didn't like the coffee at all. I guess he's more of a latte guy, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a tea he, person. Maybe he got upset because he offered the, the stoops or the levis suggestion to his coffee. He's like, hey, man, let's meet up sometimes, talk about this over coffee. I put skim milk or mayo in mine. Yeah, and the guy from Georgia just, just didn't take kindly uh, to that. No, he wasn't a fan of the swirl. Yeah. <laughs> he hit you pretty good. We'll try, we'll try and get that video up for the listeners of his, his uh, little left hook and then your response yeah. to it. Um, let's move away from football a tiny bit and just talk right. about yourself as a person. Um, you grew up in Kentucky. Tell the listeners where you grew up and what high school you went to and then lead into how you chose Kentucky in the first place. So I was born and raised in Nicholasville, Kentucky, which is like Shout I out. think 11 miles from Lexington. Like mm-hmm. it's just south. I mean, go down Nicholasville Road and lo and behold, it'll take you to Nicholasville. That would make sense. Yeah, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I mean, a lot of the roads in Lexington, I don't know if – well, all roads lead to Lexington. Well, they all roads lead to Lexington, and <laughs> the names of the roads in Lexington will lead yep. you to exactly where they're telling you. Richmond Road has been like the North Star for me a time or two. Yeah, and, it so. takes, and it's always funny, like, when new guys come in town who are, like, from Florida have absolutely like, no idea where the roads are, and they're trying to figure out as freshmen. Like, I'm like, I'm telling you, like, hey, if you're ever on Harrodsburg Road, you're if going you to don't stop driving, you will end up in Harrodsburg. <laughs> if you're on Paris Pike and you don't stop driving, you will end up in Paris. Yeah. They do it real well for you. They keep it simple. But I am just south on Nicholasville Road. Okay. And that's where I grew up in Nicholasville, and I went to West Jessman High School. Okay. That's where what, I graduated from. Why did you choose Kentucky? Who else was sniffing around at the time? I wasn't a very highly recruited guy, just kind of being from a smaller area. Um, so UK was my only Power 5 offer that I had, like a big conference. But uh, – I guess the only other school I really kind of thought about was Cincinnati when I was being recruited just because it was close and they were – obviously I could see they were, Luke Fickle was there when he recruited me and I thought they had a pretty good program in the works. Obviously they do. They're, he's done a really good job up there. But, I mean, UK was really kind of the only option in my head. Just like growing up a UK fan, like my parents, we were season ticket holders when I was going through all the recruitment and like I went to every camp from my eighth grade year until I, I ultimately graduated. And so like for me they're really – it was a dream to come and play here. And so getting that opportunity, as soon as they offered, I was like a couple of days later, I just kind of like sit on it for a little bit. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, like I really did get that offer. And then I called and I called Coach Schlarman. I called Coach Grant. I told him I was committed and this is where I wanted to play. How cool was it to grow up supporting a team and then get offered by that team? You kind of just mentioned it as well. And what role did some of maybe – Landon Young, Drake Jackson, and the success of the big blue wall to a certain extent of getting those big recruits before you play play a hand in it. I mean, I think it played like a big hand. Like, just the the culture that our offensive line here has at Kentucky. I mean, 
like you, a lot of teams don't really talk about their offensive line. Like everyone knows how important it is to football, but it's not exactly like your glory position. But like UK has done like a really big job of like. Yeah. The, I mean, we yeah. we really want to talk about our offensive line. We're really proud of our offensive line, and we want everyone to know how how we play, like how we play physical and how we play hard. And I thought that was just really like a unique thing to have like a offensive line that has its own like logo. But yeah. Like, but it also it comes with a. Like coach always talks about how it puts a target on your back. It's like everyone's like, oh, you guys are big blue wall. We'll, we'll show you what we can do. Like you aren't going to do anything to us. So I think seeing like guys like Landon and Drake who were born and raised in Kentucky, like want to come to Kentucky and play for Kentucky and be a part of something bigger for this whole state was just really encouraging and inspiring to me. Like, like that was exactly what I wanted to do. I can tell you it's nationally – before we get to your question, Brent, I can tell you it's nationally recognized too because when I – and this isn't a me moment. When I went to the Senior Bowl – all the O-linemen that had gone there were just – It was like when I went to Felipe Franks a few, a few weeks ago. He's like, yeah, me and Felipe just bros yeah, now. Well, I have to set the scene of the compliment <laughs> I'm about to give you. When they – all the Alabama guys and that were kind of giving Drake a hard time because as well as – as much as they're known for being good players, like you said, they don't really have a term or a, a thing that they're defined by. And they're like, oh, big blue wall guys here. Like, oh, the big blue wall, huh? And they just kept saying big blue wall. I thought that was hilarious. And but a good compliment for you guys. I was about to say, how, how cool is it? Because like, like myself, you grew up a massive Kentucky football fan. And you kind of watched the Kentucky offensive line go from guys like John Toth and people of that nature to now it's like you guys are also the superstars. Like yourself, Darian, Drake. And, and uh, Landon before you, how cool is – and Luke, obviously. How cool is it to, to see that just morph into its own stardom? Because used to you had to play like running back or be Andre Woodson to be a star here. Now it's like, hey, if you're on that offensive line, you're just as big a star as anyone else. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes of like what Coach Schlarman did while he was at Kentucky. Like he was a Kentucky offensive lineman himself. He was someone who was born in Kentucky, raised in Kentucky, and like played for him, coached here, and like – it, he, it was the amount of pride that he carried in this offensive line. And he always wanted to say, like, you know what, if there's anybody on this team you can count on, it's going to be the guys in my room, it's going to be me. Like, this offensive line, we can carry this team as far as we want to. And that's something that I think that was the culture and the brand, that blue-collar mentality, that, like, fight and that grit that he established in this offensive line when he got to Kentucky. And it's something he just built upon and built upon. And then guys like Drake and Landon and Stenberg, I mean, they all really set the stage for what it is now. Because, I mean, they, it's just like the offensive line just seemed to get better and better every single year. And it's, it's something we take a lot of pride in. Like, being called the Big Blue Wall is like, it's a big responsibility, too. Like, it's, it's cool to have, like, that recognition and stuff. But it's like a legacy that, now. Yeah, that all goes away as soon as you're not good. <laughs> like, you can't – it's something you have to uphold and something we take a lot of pride in. We work really hard at being able to uphold that Big Blue Wall legacy that Coach Schlarman started and those guys that came before talk, us. Talk to people about how hard it was last year. I mean, you were as connected as anybody would have been being on the offensive line, um, losing Coach Schlarman and just having the, the – ter- well, not the terrible year on the field, but just the terrible things that kept happening to us last year – um, what that meant to you and kind of how hard that was to go through that. Yeah, I mean, last year was – I mean, it was a long season with seeing Coach Sharman's battle all through. I mean, he was fighting for multiple years with his battle with cancer. And it's just – it visibly got really hard on him, like especially towards when the season began. And obviously with COVID, like screwing everything up. Like nothing was – everything was out of routine. Nothing was the same. We didn't start camp till like September. The whole season got pushed back. We're in the middle of classes while trying to go through camp practices, which is – 
a lot harder than just being able to focus on football for that one month, the one month we don't have classes. And But, like, the one thing that was always constant among, among like, how changing and how wrong everything seemed to feel was that Coach Larm was going to be in that building and he was going to put his full effort forward into winning football games and having the best offensive line possible. And I think that really just sticks with all of us that, like, he was going through rounds and rounds of chemo, and it was, like, messing up. I mean, he could hardly walk with, like, things on his feet with the chemo and the side effects. Like, it, And he hated anyone ever talking about, yeah. like, oh, well, Coach, like, are you sure you're okay? He's like, of course I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm tough. This is a big blue wall. Like, yeah. we'll, we'll be fine. We're going to practice today. I mean, I remember there was one day he would miss practice here and there just because of, like, where treatments were or what time they were. But, I mean, he was at practice nearly every day after going through hours of chemotherapy which, I mean, it's just speaks ultimately to his toughness and his grit that we really try to, like, show on the offensive line. He, he meant a lot to everybody in that building and a lot, especially to the offensive line. And it just really speaks to the type of man he was and the fortitude he had to be. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of pain any cancer patient goes through with those therapies, but especially to be out there in the heat, standing up on the field coaching. Like, it was just – it was hard to see him go through that, but he never let him – he never let it – make him skip a beat I and mean, he never missed a single thing he never let it be an excuse for him he just worked really hard and it's something that sticks with us and that's a legacy we want to keep going yeah I had a little moment the other day where I was just thinking about I think it was because we were leading up to Georgia and I was like how good the football team's gone at the moment but just thinking about all the little things that had happened over the last three years chucked on the which is a tough thing to do chucked on the coach Slyman little memorial video that they put out with all yeah. the coaches and yeah. it's a tough thing to watch but just uh like you said of when he was walking around, it just made everyone happier. And he was one of those guys that wanted people to almost make fun of him and, like, get into him for the position he was in. I know yeah. Drake was always, like, making fun of him for having to come out on a cart, which if you think about the severity of the situation, it's it was sick. unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. But, but he loved it, and it was it yeah. is unbelievable. Well, that's what, that was what I was about to say. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, Max, but we talk a lot about Coach Stoops, like the best Stoops stories and how he can cut up and have fun, but – when people talk about Coach Slarman, it's always in a very, like, serious tone because of, you know, the past year. What is one story you have from Coach Slarman that helps define him as not only a coach but how great of, like, a leader and how, like, close he was with you guys, almost kind of like like any friend would be too? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I always remember is, like, I think this was my – I guess this was, like, kind of last year. We knew he was – because he was going through the treatment like I was being recruited, so we obviously knew what that situation was. We knew he wasn't feeling great. But I remember it was one Saturday morning. Because, I mean, obviously fall camp is a grueling time for any college football player. It's the most padded practice you have back-to-back, and it's like for weeks in a row, and you're there most of the day. And it's just exhausting. But, like, the third or fourth week is when if people count your feet, start to kind of drag, you're exhausted, your body's beat up. And, we, I mean, we're all dog-tired about to go into, like, one of our scrimmages. It's early Saturday morning, and it's just – it's one of those things that's harder to get up for, like, you know, because we're all just – we're really tired and we're looking forward to a break. And Coach Slarman would just come in with this. He would have his eyes, like, he'd be shaking his fingers like this, like, huh? Uh-huh, yeah, ready to go, boys? And he'd be out there doing pass sets in the hallway, like, going through his run block fits in the hallway. He's like, yeah, that's what we're about to do. He'd point to the defensive lines, like, that's what we're doing to you all day long. <laughs> all day long. So if you ever didn't have any juice, he was going to bring it to you. Well, you nailed that impersonation. Yeah. Do you have a Coach Stoops impersonation for us, a favorite saying or just a favorite Coach Stoops moment? I think one of my favorite sayings is, and you guys have taken advantage of it on the podcast, the true or not true is always hilarious because <laughs> it's, it's not like a rhetorical question, but it's not like a real question because yeah. the answer is always true because yeah. it's something that he's saying. 
because he's always bringing up like, this is my point. Is, am I wrong or am I right? <laughs> it's like, well, coach, yes, you're right. He's like, yeah, I am. I'm always, it's always true. Has he never pulled not back true. on that a bit now that he knows it's out there in the universe? Or is he still just hammering it home? <laughs> I don't think so. He still likes it. He, it's really his, his way to get the emphasis and get the point to the guys. Let's talk about yourself. You can bathe in your own little glory for a little bit here for the next couple minutes. When you were a young kid growing up, everyone would have been like, or everyone that loved football would have been like, I wish I could play for this team. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. <laughs> Obviously, very few people ever get to do that. Um, how cool is it, and you, you answer this however you want, how cool is it being a mid-season ESPN All-American given where you've come from? And at your dream school. You, at your dream school. I think it's just been – I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's like really is just like a dream come true for me to be able to play at Kentucky and be able to – Ultimately, like, obviously getting here was really important to me. Like, it was a dream come true to sign at Kentucky. And then just being able to contribute and help this team win football games on Saturday was, like, obviously the ultimate goal once you get here. And so it's just been really special. It's been a special feeling for me this year to, like, have those historic wins like the Florida game and to be able to play in big games in front of the crowd. Because I can remember, like, sitting up in the family and, like, the student – not the student, but the uh, season ticket section where my family sit and where what, we used to sit What, what section did you sit in? 228. Okay where we sit so if you sit in 228 be kind to my brother he usually is the one sitting up there <laughs> um so I just remember like being that little kid that was sitting in that section like you could see the recruit section like oh man it'd be really cool like sit there and like get to be a recruit for the games like you see the guys like high five and just the joy that comes with scoring touchdowns and winning big football games and you're just like that's something you want to be a part of and just being able to actually now be doing it and to continue to do that and obviously take it even to a higher level it's just been like a dream come true for me and I've enjoyed every second of it what's the motivation behind why you play what what, what drives you um I'd say I mean it sounds a little but I guess uh just kind of being doubted as a recruit is something that I've kind of been a chip on my shoulder through college because I was signed and committed to an SEC school in UK as an offensive lineman and I was a two-star which I thought was kind of like an insult to me I was like oh like I mean, two-star, it seems kind of low. I mean, like, right. these guys are – all my teammates who are committed, they're, like, threes and fours. And, like, I get it. I mean, maybe not four, but, like, at least three, right? I mean, come on, give, give me a third one. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't end up getting a <clears> – I think I was, like, the 1,400th ranked mm. player in my recruiting class. And so that was something that kind of took – I took that a little personal. Like, that's something I wanted to prove a lot of people wrong. Like, oh, it's like, you really don't – you think there are, like, 1,399 players who are, like, way better than me in high school. I was like, oh, I want to prove to you that, like, not only can I go and play college football, but I can do it in the SEC and do it at a high level for the big blue wall and do it while winning games for Kentucky. Well, let's talk about that for a second because you were a two-star recruit. Now we're seven games into the best start Kentucky football's had in a long time, and you're a midseason All-American. Josh Allen, another two-star, came in, now top ten draft pick playing for the Jaguars. Speak to that. How much of a testament is that for Stoops and the recruiting staff to go out and find gems like yourself and Josh and what they do to bring the best out of you when it comes to your all's development? Yeah, I think it's not only like the recruiting, because obviously like they find guys who want to be here and like want to buy into this family, really this Kentucky football family that Coach Stoops has started. And not only that, like it's a big piece, like finding like the guys that want to be here, and this means a lot too, like the in-state guys and guys that might be under-recruited, but also speaks a lot to like our strength and conditioning staff, like with Coach Ed and Coach Hill and Coach Raff, like those guys are at the 
top of like their craft. I would, I personally can attest to that. Like, you, if you show up every day in that offense, in that line, in that just like the weight room, it's impossible to not get stronger and not get faster and to not be a better football player. I love that you mentioned that, Eli, because I was about to say to you, everyone in the football locker room talks all the time. Everyone always is saying good things, bad things, whatever. I think the moment when it clicks for everyone that you have all the facilities in the world to utilize and I need to just work every day at getting better and I need to get bigger, I need to get stronger, I need to get faster. When that clicks for the player, that's the moment when things seem to start to turn for him. And the amount of comments that I got about yourself, obviously because I'm connected to a lot of the guys online, oh, particularly this year, but over the just the course of since you've gotten there, working really hard in the weight room and that being the moment where it clicks, like that's a testament to you that you've been able to to see the value in that and then therefore it's obviously paid off. Yeah, and I think like one thing I learned the hard way is like when you come in as a freshman, especially into like an SEC offensive line where there's experienced guys like I came in and Logan Stenberg had been starting and playing for a while, Landon, Drake, Mason was an older guy that played a lot of snaps for us, Fortner had been playing snaps, and I mean George Asafo J. I mean guys that were really just talent I mean Darian obviously like multi time All American like you come in, I was like, oh, like, I'm obviously not going to be a starter right away. That's cool. I guess I'll, I'll wait my turn. These older guys will graduate, and then I'll just do what I need to do. Like, I'll do what Coach Ed says in the weight room, and I'll do what he says to run. I'll, I'll know my plays, and but then, like, once they graduate, then I'll be that senior that's been, like, experienced and knows what to do, and I'll be able to play. And I think that was my mistake in thinking it's just something that's, like, inherited because it is definitely not all, especially the way we recruit. Like, we're – Trying yeah. to find guys that are even it's, better than the class before. Screw that, give me the spot. Yeah, it's like yeah. something you got to go out and you have to like, you really have to work and you have yeah. to earn that. It's not something you inherit. It's something you have to like work at constantly. Like yeah. just obviously our strength stuff's amazing, but like if all you do is the minimum they ask of you, you are never going to get any better Yeah. as a football player. Like obviously you'll get better, but like then you're getting better at the same rate as everybody else. We so love- you have to take that extra step forward and like really do something more. To, if you want to be able to play and that's something I never really clicked for me and I'm really excited to share with all I tell all our younger guys that come in like if you just kind of go through the motions you'll be doing what I did for two years and just watching it's but been it's, it's been great to sit back and watch the rise and just to see the guys that it clicks and for yourself it has and to be able to see the improvement and how that sets up everyone else in the locker room but setting up other people that you live with is mm. what we're moving on to now <laughs> <laughs> you live with one of our favorite personalities on the show and he doesn't yeah. listen but we, he does get brought up he really is a superstar butler. on this show and has he, no he is an absolute superstar on the show lance butler if he listened to you how is living with lance living with lance is hilarious <laughs> it is so funny because he i think we can all kind of personally experience he is an extremely smart individual and i hate complimenting yes. him so much but like agreed dude's just naturally smart but then there are sometimes he just says stuff that's like lance you're smart, right? Like, why? what made you think that? Like, yeah. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> one, he's not going to listen to this, so he won't care. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> there was one time we were driving back, like, from lunch one Sunday afternoon. This was before I even lived with him. I just knew him from football and living across the hall in the dorms. And he drives a newer car, and he looked at a car that was on the road, and he looked at my car, and he's like, Eli, I know this is going to sound stupid. He's like, <laughs> what in the world is that thing? And he's pointing at the long black antenna that's on the front of my 2005 Ford Explorer. <laughs> and I was like, Lance, that's the antenna. Yeah. Like, that's how you get the radio and stuff. Yeah. He's like, really? Because I've been wondering that for a very long – like, why do some cars have it and some don't? 
I was like, well, not all of us drive a newer car that has the little tiny little point on the back where they can get those awesome railways. He's like, back in 2005, they had to reach the sky if you wanted to listen to ESPN <laughs> radio on your way back from work. And I was just like so – I was so confused. I was like, dude, you got like a 36 or something on your ACT, and you yeah. can do calculus in your sleep. But you had no idea what a car antenna was. Yeah. Well, maybe that's just a testament to, to the to the butlers because <laughs> maybe they're just over here driving around like Porsches and whatnot, which shout out to Josh Pascal. But like maybe they're just driving around and that and they just he just never knew what an antenna was. That's so funny. And he's I, such he, a he's such a unique man. But in he's, fairness, he's so things, funny. There's things that we would know that he wouldn't know, like the antenna. So I mean, uh, maybe we maybe collectively as a podcast. We could be smarter than Lance. We, or Tour. collectively with Lance, this might be the smartest podcast yeah. in the world. Don't ask, <laughs> don't ask Lance if we're smarter than him because that would get shut down very, very fast. No, he would quickly tell you no. In oh. fact, he, sometimes he's shocked to know people are smarter than him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we mentioned that once it's funny. It's funny you say that because you just rehashed basically everything. we've like If we had to put together everything we've said about Lance and put it into like one paragraph, it would be pretty much what you exactly just said. Yeah. Um, and then just one more, one more time about the, uh, you know, getting to play at your dream school. I've always been curious of this because I'm a diehard fan. I know I'm never going to play a snap of collegiate football ever in my life. But, like, as a fan, I'm sure there are fans who are listening can attest to this. They get into the stadium. It's 30 minutes before kickoff. The music starts playing. You see the players. And they get fired up like they would want to play a game, like run through a wall. How is that different from being a player because you've been on both sides or is it the exact same and you just still feel like you're ready to knock someone's head I off? think it I mean it gets the players even more amped up because I mean, obviously the fans are excited to watch but like when you're down on the field and you can look up and see the sold out stadium and not a single seat left and you can you can feel like the crowd screaming like you can feel it like kind of like in your chest like when you're right beside a big speaker it's like you can just kind of feel and feed off that energy and I think it just gets even more amped up and so I don't sometimes I don't know if the fans appreciate how much of a difference they make like, cause, like, they're a huge part of the game day experience for, like, obviously, like, recruits who love to see it. And for mm-hmm. us playing, like, we, we feed off that energy. And being able to get them excited and see fans routing the sands when we're running through the end zone is just, like, something we can really build off of. And we really love that experience. I will say, I think the fans have turned the corner on that because, like I said, I've been at all of them. And I've been there when it was, like, you had to beg people to sell out, like, Tennessee. Now we're selling out Tennessee when they're not even that good three weeks in advance. Because I think that Florida game was the game where people realized, oh, shit, like we really make a difference. I mean, that was eight false starts. I mean, that's purely from the fans just being rowdy and loud. Mm -hmm. I mean, like we we can't make a team false start, but when you're that loud and they can't even hear a clap or a single word in the stands, I mean, that's just a huge advantage for us. Obviously, it's very easy to say on a show like this or just in media questions in general, but is that something you guys talk about in the locker room or just, you know, in everyday life being like, hey, man, like, what about these fans? Like, I mean, it's something we definitely talk about. Like, when we got the notification on our phone, like you see it on Twitter, like games officially sold out. Like the tickets to the game sold. It was like Monday, and the Florida game was already announced. Like it's like tickets just went on sale for this thing, and it's already sold out. And it's like it just gets us excited too. It's mm-hmm. like wow, like this is gonna be like this is gonna be packed. And then you hear about like Waka Flocka showing up and stuff like that. It's just like all that energy and that hype just really wants you, makes you want to play a little bit harder. I've got some quick fire questions for you to finish off. All right. Least favorite O-lineman. Oof. Least favorite O-lineman? Yep. Gosh, that's a tough question. Come on. Least quick, favorite. Quick, don't even think about it. What came to your head? What came to your head first? Probably David Wallaba, the way he looks at me. Perfect. Least favorite coach? Least favorite coach. What came to your head? <laughs> what came to your head? I don't, like, the, it's weird with the coaches. Like, I can't even attest even the slightest bit to, like, the defensive coaches. 
Because, <laughs> like, I only see them yeah. when they're joking around the hallway. I have no idea what they're like in okay. meeting rooms. So I don't know if you could say, like, I have a least favorite. Because I really only have, like, you see Stoops, you see your position coach and yep. the strength coaches. That's, like, that's pretty much it. Least favorite team that we play. Least favorite team that we played, Florida. Least favorite for two on that one. Least favorite Butler. <laughs> Miles. Oh. <laughs> least favorite D lineman you face every day in practice. Every or just day. in general. I mean, least favorite in a sense, Josh Pascal makes practice so hard during fall camp. And we love Cox on this show. Yep. Your favorite cock. My favorite cock. Uh Clash of Clans, C O C. There we go. Play, we got a clan with O line, some of the other players. We're getting pretty good at it. I was it. about to say, a lot of great, great Cox around in Kentucky. Like, you got the, the Cox train company. Brad Cox, Brad the horse Cox. trainer. Cox yep. Communications. Cox Communications. That's, that's, a, that's a good yeah. one. Too. Fletcher Cox. Yep. Do, do you put yourself on. Um, game um, Cox. Yeah. Do you put yourself amongst. We don't like the Game Cox, but we don't like the other game Cox we're really big fans of. How do you rank yourself amongst the great Coxes in the world? Clearly below There's Fletcher a couple Cox. of good ones on some videos on the internet, too. There's <laughs> some real Christ. good ones. Isn't there like a news anchor? A Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. She's up there. Maybe we're later. Or something. No, where where are you in the list of big? Oh, not biggest. I was going to say biggest, but maybe biggest. Greatest Cox. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, I would say I'm behind. Fletcher. I would like to think. I mean, behind Fletcher. Yeah. Obviously, I mean one of the greatest four eyes that plays football currently. Uh, probably. I would like to think top twenty-five percent. Top twenty-five percent of Cox. Yeah. Wow. Top quarter of Cox. <laughs> I'd love to be in the top quarter of Cox. Well, Eli. One of the great cocks there ever was. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you having it on. Mid-season ESPN All-American. Hopefully, at the end of the year, we'll see your name on the, on the All-American list. Thanks for joining us, and it's just been great. And hopefully more touchdowns for you this year. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not planning on it, but we'll see what we can do. Cool. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Eli. Yep. Thank you, guys. Right. Well, Max, I don't know about you, but I thought it was super cool having Eli in here. Um, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we jumped into this new segment, but I thought it was cool to see him kind of be a diehard UK fan and just go out and live the dream like a lot of diehard fan UK fans would like to do, and that's just super cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I obviously coming from Australia, don't know what that would feel like, but you could just hear in his voice, you know, how special it was for him to be able to play for the team that he loved. I'm sure it means a lot to his family and, and friends and all that, and I'm sure they get a big kick out of it. I talked about it when we were talking to him, but it's a huge testament to him to see how he's risen through the program. It's mm -hmm. tough to get that respect coming in as a two-star player. Um, when the four or five stars come in, everyone knows who they are, and they're like, dude, this guy's good. You come in as a two-star, and everyone's like, ah, oh, this guy will probably never play. He'll just be part of the numbers. But testament to the dedication he puts in, hard work every single day, application to task, and I think, you know, he's seeing the rewards, and that's what he's, he talked about it. You talk to the young guys, and all you want to emphasize is, hey, you got to work harder than everyone else in here because when you get to walk out on that field in front of 60, 70, 80, 100,000 fans, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes all worth it. And the, the crazy thing about football is you work your ass off 365 days of the year to only get 12 opportunities or maybe 13 opportunities to actually perform your task. And it, it makes it all worthwhile. And I think, that's I think, I think he, gets a, he gets such a big kick out of it. And I, mm -hmm. I'm, the guys, the way that they talk about him is, um, is great. And I like that he gets all the rewards. Yeah, and, and that's what I was telling you too. Like with the exception of maybe Josh and even then, like Eli is probably the one person I know on the team the most. Yeah. And just to see him talk about like after the game, talk about UK, like – he talks about it almost like he's a fan still. He's yep. like a kid in the candy candy store uh, living out this dream. And I got to live with him for a little bit too as well as living with Lance. And I can tell you he's by far my favorite housemate <laughs> um, that I had at the time. So it was great <laughs> to have Eli there. And um, he's actually – like I didn't know him a whole lot to be honest before I moved in there. But it was great living with him and 
the maturity that he has for a young guy um, is fantastic. And it's something that I see in a lot of our better players is just how they're able to mature and grow up so fast and work out what's important and what's not. I think that's kind of an awesome dynamic, too, that you came from Australia. The only thing you knew about Kentucky was KFC and Stockton Mortgage. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Eli, being the diehard UK football fan, he was. How was that living with him? Did he ever give you, like, some perspective of, like, how cool the things you all were doing were? Or did he kind of, like, bring you into the mind of, like, what the Kentucky fans think as well? Or is uh, it just still like... Yeah, I mean, he definitely gave me some Kentucky perspective. I One thing I got out of living with him was how much film he watches for an O-lineman. Like, I used to live with Luke a lot, and I hope Luke doesn't mind me saying this, it was a lot of time spent on COD, to be honest, and a lot of time spent on the PlayStation. Well, it's because um, he's just so smart. <laughs> yeah, Eli would come home and he'd be watching, you know, who we're playing in three weeks' time, which is great. And I think... He would admit himself he's probably not the most athletically gifted person in the world, so he really has to have those fine details nailed down because when he's coming up against these first-round draft picks like he did in Georgia, has to be able to dominate them. You mentioned that I only knew KFC and Stockton Mortgage. I, that's not true. I knew three companies. I knew KFC, Stockton Mortgage. I knew Clark Family Farms. There we go. <laughs> Clark Family Farms Beef is one of my favorite companies of all time, and... Just for the people listening, we have a special guest on today. The we lost Miles. Two time we guest. lost Miles. He got stuck in an air vent in the <laughs> in the plane on the way back from New Jersey. Yep. We're not sure where he is. He's probably floating down like the leafy feather that he is. I hope he'll he probably back safe now he'll probably arrive back in the on dry land in maybe an hour to an hour and a half. <laughs> Hopefully, he doesn't get hit by another plane. <laughs> But we've got Aaron Clark here from Clark Family Farms. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. How special do you feel to be a part I, of this great show? This is pretty unique. I, my heart's racing. I, <laughs> I, this is special. He has no idea what he's in for either. No idea. And Todd Clark, shout out to you too. Aaron's beautiful father from Clark Family Farms. Met That's where you can get all your beef. Weekend. Uh, you Aaron, can't escape us. We're everywhere. Have you been yeah. a lifetime UK fan? I, I would say I have. You know, I grew up here in Lexington. Grew up five minutes from Commonwealth, Kroger Field, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, I, you're forced into and, it, and but for it's the, that good. And you used to live with Logan Stinberg. That's how we know each other. Talk to us about Logan Stinberg, obviously now NFL player at the Detroit Lions. What was it like living with Logan? It was unique. He, uh, he always would act like he hated football, but every time <laughs> there was a loss or maybe he played bad, he was in the worst mood I've ever seen. So, he, you know, his actions – they spoke a little bit louder in his words, but it was it was fun. It was nice to get an insight from someone who <laughs> he's a big deal. And he, he and, he, and he's know. a big dude. Yeah, big he's deal a big and fella. big dude. I know he probably has the four XL T-shirts. How did you get into a position where you were living with uh, with Logan? Did you know him beforehand, or how did how, how did that work out? So I met him through a high school buddy after my original college shut down. So I transferred. You, you I went to St. Catherine College in Springfield, Kentucky. Ran out of money, something you hear so often. I was uh, say, I've never even heard of that college. No, so. it's it was 400 people. I played baseball, and, but I decided to transfer back. Uh, one of my high school best friends lived with uh, Logan um, Davis Mattingly, who was a preferred walk-on quarterback from Mail, mm. and uh, I'd say one of Max's best friends and Blake Best. <laughs> Um, Shout out Blake Best. So I lived up the street from them for a year, and then they had an opening. I moved in with them, and so I got kind of thrown into the fire, it feels like. You know, I go from no locker room ever to what felt like a, a house that was a locker room all the time, but it, it was a blast. I'd love to listen to St. Catherine's version of their Pin It Deep podcast yeah. covering all their sports. <laughs> I think that would be a highlight for me. Just if you're a big St. Catherine fan and you, and you know yeah. their – 
their version of Pin It Deep, please forward it on to me. I'd love to please, listen to that. Please. That would be a great podcast. Now, you're just going to join along. If you ever want to jump in, Aaron, at any stage, okay. jump in. This is, this is going to be a great little part. We got, we're on to Man of the Week. Yeah. Because, Brent? Well, you see, Max, boys, they just do what they want to do. They do. But men do what they have they to have do. They have to. And why is that? Because you can't wake up in the morning, can't pull the it. covers up, turn the alarm off. Never done it. Hit the snooze. Nope. Turn the lights back off. Won't. Go back to sleep. Mm-mm. Dream about whatever you're dreaming about. Probably if you're a big old lineman, it's mm-hmm. food. If it's me, it's about a female that might be laying next to you. It's just anything in the world you can possibly dream about. You cannot do that. Get up. Get into the day. Get started. Get moving and burn the ships. Burn the ships. Burn the ships, which gets us to, honestly, I don't. We talked about this before. I don't even know if we need to give nominations for Man of the Week nope. because we really have one again, or at least I do, um, and there's a few others we'll talk about. But, I mean, Mark Stoops, burning ships first off to start yep. the day. Whatever happens, when you say you're going to burn the ship, man, that's a, that's a hell Absolute, of an intro. Absolute Man of the Week. Lot. Absolute Man of the <laughs> yeah. Week. Watch Batman, talked about no rope, wanted to burn ships down, which I'm sorry to the U.S. Navy. Yep. He didn't mean yours. But every other French armada was going mm-hmm. down in flames. Yep. Then he went for it to cover, which yep. I don't know. I don't want to uh, say that he was gambling, but if there was ever a time where a coach looked like he'd put money on the spread, it, it was, was then. Went the for it. Out. What a play. Love Coach Stoops. Man of the week and by under far. Hit. Under hit. So yeah. That Maybe a shout-out to, to Ruffalo there. Because that has been an absolute man. I've got another man for you that was a coach. Lane Kiffin, Oof. man of the week. Uh, Tennessee game happened. Everyone starts throwing numerous – Cups, whatever they could get their hands Mustard on. Small bottles. children, animals, yeah. sheep. Golf balls, hats. Golf balls, hats, beer cans, mustard, everything. Tobacco, everything was getting thrown. The, the tobacco. tobacco. They were throwing Adam. women out there. They yep. were throwing children. Awful. They were throwing attendants. Yep. I just want to know how you get a full mustard bottle in the stadium. You, uh, you definitely steal it from the hot dogs. Like, you know they ran back there and were like, this looks good, and then sprinted back out. Well, we're talking about the Tennessee fans. Yeah. Like, they steal Unbel- Sticky hands over there. <laughs> Unbelievable. And one of them threw a cup at Kiffin, and he and all his bodyguards duck, wave, move, oh, acted Dale. acted like it was a live grenade, and Kiffin insane. just stuck the one mid up, yep. Odell Beckham like, mm-hmm. and caught it. But I'll tell you this: this is a caveat. I'm throwing the red flag because I've seen another angle today, and he actually dropped it. I disagree. I watched it. In Incomplete slow pass. Nope. What it was was he got he got it, tucked it, took his two steps, tuck rule, and then he dropped it. I want to say that's a completed catch. I think Lane Kiffin, uh, he dunked on Tennessee, which I love, and not to mention the golf ball. He kept the golf ball. I hope he's teeing off uh, on hole one with that. Hey, he uh, took the Twitter immediately after. There's going to be there's, there's going to be a video coming out of him teeing off with that golf ball. Yeah. I already know it because he's so smart with that stuff, and he's I love his Twitter. He's my second favorite coach in the whole of the country. My third favorite coach in the whole of the country, Bill Tigers. His oh. coach, <laughs> uh, he's my nomination for Man of the Week along with Lane Kiffin. Uh, so obviously announced this week that he will be resigning at the end of the season. We'll be interested to see who takes up that mantle of the Gold Tigers. It'd be nice to listen to an LSE, LSE, LSU media conference and be able to actually understand what the coach is saying for once, which is be huge. When I went to, and this is another subtle brag, I'm sorry, but I just need to give context of what I, where I was at the time and why I'm telling the story. When I was at the ESPN Football Awards, Flex. coach, that was the year when LSU won. And Coach O was up there giving a big interview. And my dad just leaned across and said, 
is he drunk? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He goes, I can't understand a word he's saying. He sounds like he's drunk. I said, Dad, it's just like a deep Louisiana accent. Yeah. I'm sorry. He just thought it was hilarious. My dad could not stop laughing at what he was saying. Can I say this about LSU? So they went from Les Miles yep. to Ed Ogeron. Yep. So looking at the betting lines on who's going to be the next coach, yep. two names I saw, yep. shocked. Yep. First was Lane Kiffin. Yep. I don't think he's going to leave nope. Ole Miss. No. The other name I was stunned to see, Kay. John Gruden. What? Yeah, I saw that. That's the, yeah. I mean, but think about it. But it does fit in nicely of why he's getting the nomination. Imagine if you're LSU and you're you're four coaches in a row: Nick Saban, Les Miles, yeah. Ed Orgeron, and John Gruden. That is just like you want to talk about like an electric foursome of coaches right there. Well, first Jesus team all Christ. hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, Coach O gets my nomination not because he resigned, <laughs> but because. It came out, there was a media report that came out that said that half of the reason why they'd asked him to resign was because he had had too many relations with too many females on the campus Mm -hmm. and it was getting so much that they just couldn't have him as a coach anymore, which is unbelievable because I'd love to know the numbers of how many females that has to be to get yourself fired. And I want to know when he finished up with those women, did he finish up with a little go targets as he was was ending his courtship with them? Had to. And apparently I heard that, like, he was having the, the girlfriend's kids. They were hopping in the drills. Yeah. That's Unreal. Wild. And then after the UCLA game, I don't know if you saw this either. He, basically after the first week, I, I guess there were maybe some rumblings that, hey, Orgeron might be on the hot seat, even though he won a championship literally a year ago yep. before COVID, where he was like, they want to fire my ass, they can come get me. A- a- after they lost to UCLA, and then they go and they They lose. got him. Yeah. But here's, here's the other side to this. Mark Stoops. Little Randy Orton, legend killer. Okay. Mm. After he beat yep. South Carolina, yep. Steve Spurrier, see ya. Bye. Missouri, Barry Odom. Mm-hmm. Bye. Gone. Yep. Coach O. Coach Bye. O. See ya. See you later. And then Louisville, the one thing they got right was before they got rid of – or before they hired Satterfield, before Stoops came in to put the nail in the coffin, they were like, mm-mm, Petrino, we know it's going to happen. We're going to do you a favor. We're going to let you go before Stoops. So, Stoops is like the Grim Reaper coming on from, from door to door, like that yeah. little meme. So, so uh, go Tigers. I will say $17 million buyout, that is – It's not bad, is it? No. Well, Aaron, do you have a man of the week? Oh, this is going to be my favorite part of this whole show, I think. Aaron Clark, Clark Family Farms, what is your man of the week? There's so many potential men of the week, uh, but I, my dad literally pulled me aside today, stopped me. I was bailing some hay. He pulled me out of the tractor. <laughs> he said, he said you sticks. have to listen to this. Okay. And he pulls up uh, a show that you guys might know, a KSR. Okay. And a man named Chester uh, yeah. oh, sticks man. out. One, because I heard he called in when you went. Yep. But he called in, I guess, yesterday or the postgame show. Yep. And when he just went on a rampage, I could see, like, I just visualized a man just fired up walking around in a living room just not having it. Yeah. Chester is one of the funniest. Since I've started listening to KSR, it's actually one of the funniest things when he calls in because I love his little rants. He said to bring Cincinnati on a Wednesday night. <laughs> like they're just going to do an inner squad. In the- you know what I say? Do yeah, it. I say bring it on. He was fired up. He was ready to go. And, I mean, it stuck out so much to Todd Clark that he stopped me from working. We'll see if we can get a 10-second grab of that Yeah, starting now. I mean, they've done nothing but disrespect us all year long. Have us at fifteen. I mean, come on. So would you rank? Would you rank? Kentucky, I, would you rank Kentucky number two now, ahead of Cincinnati, Michigan, and Oklahoma, Alabama? 
right now because if those teams ain't lost, I mean, I ain't, you know, they got to be ahead of it. But you just wait. Give it to the end of the year. Let them play their conference tournaments. In Cincinnati, I probably would. I ain't convinced of that. I am not convinced of that. Bring them down here right now. I say we'll we'll play them next week. We'll play them Wednesday night. I bring him down here right now. <laughs> Wednesday night, cats and bear cats at Kroger Field. I love it, Chester. But Chester say, was great. Hold on, let me say this. Okay, Chester, like I give him props for calling in when he's fired up because if someone had a recording on the stuff I said oh, like, yeah. on game day. Yeah. There's no chance. Possible. I have to try oh, so God. hard not to even cuss on this show. Yeah. Speaking of a man that would never cuss, though, would never even put a foot out of line, is our one of the most divine men to ever walk the earth. The last nomination for the week, Josh Pascal, is now driving a Porsche. Ooh-wee. Josh Pascal <laughs> just got signed, did his NIL deal with Porsche. He's mm. driving a brand new Porsche. Porsche. That's beautiful. Unreal. I... I know he was wanting to, to get one, and I was like, well, I mean, maybe talk to Paul Millerford, maybe talk to, like, Gates Auto Outlet or something like that. Nope. Porsche. To the top. Un, like, just and Honestly, though, he deserves it. The greatest, 100%. The greatest thing is, though, is, like, we now know if the great man above was ever to return to Earth, what he'd be driving because Josh has given that away. I feel like back in the day – Jesus probably drive the Porsches of horses. So whatever the Porsche style of horse was, that's what he jumped aboard. Now, Josh Pascal has given away what our divine creator would choose in a car. And I think it's a great endorsement for Porsche, right? Like, I think that's, that's a great companionship to have is the ultimate praise. I'm not even going to comment on that. <laughs> you put, That's hard to follow up. You put me in such a tough spot on sometimes that where I'm like, I don't even know how to respond to this or even if I should let you get away with it, but... Have at it. Is that not a good thing? We would they they I would thought, Porsche would love it. But Jesus was in with the men. He was one of us. So everybody well, he could gets get a seven seater. He could get all the boys in there. Fair. It'd be tough to fit all the apostles in there though, because he had thirteen, didn't he? One cheated on him. So he could to get the twelve in. He could, maybe to get the twelve get in, a in and run over the thirteen. Well, what he would do is he would get the Porsche, turn it into a twelve seater. Exactly. Which he like, could do that. Yep. 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 Anything Just is lands. possible with the big man. That is correct. The big man, which, by the way, size matters, as seen from the billboards. Well, Eli, Cox, Eli yep. Cox talked about that too. Yep. Um, so we had the trip down to Athens. So let's go real quick because yep. people are sick of us already. Oh, yeah. I had a hell of a trip. I went down with KSR. I learned that Matt Jones is the worst driver in the history of drivers. He has this weird thing where he doesn't press go on Google Maps. He just stares at it and twists his phone up and down. You told me that and I was so shocked. Unbelievable. He swerves all over the road. We almost crashed when he saw the sign of himself at Middlesbrough High School (laughs) trying to point. And that's actually not even a joke. That's actually serious. Had a great time. Put some money on Anthracite at the casino. Made some money. Everyone's kind of... If you want to listen to my trip, just go listen to KSR. Mm -hmm. But Brent, your trip, how was it? A lot different from yours. Um, I was debating back and forth on, uh, A, if I should go. But I was like, this is the biggest like, football game of my lifetime. I'm yep. obviously going to go. So I decided to go. Um, I left Saturday morning at 3 a.m. That way I could get all my work done on Friday. Yep. So I just took off on Saturday morning. Got in about 10, 11, went to game day, did the whole thing. Uh, then obviously I got up with, with you all at the pregame show. We went to the game. We stopped at a tailgate with um, – uh, Tristan Yeoman's brother yep. and, and uh, some folks there. Um, and then you, by the way, I want to give a quick shout-out. We have a man who is reaching Dick Gabriel uh, media status for us. Alex Walker puts you on TV. Uh, 
promoted the podcast, which was good. Thank you, Alex Walcott. Yep, shout out. Then so, we got to the game. Yep. It was great. And then after the game, you all went to Chin Chin? We went to Chin Chin 5, which was great. After the game, I was like, I don't have a hotel to stay at. I still want to experience Athens. Mm-hmm. So after I do my work for, for On 3, shout out. It yep. was like midnight. I was like, okay, let's, let's finish up Athens. Yep. So I'm out there probably till about 2 or 3 a.m., pretty tired. The bar scene there is fantastic. I was like, fantastic. all right. I don't have a place to stay. Struck out at the bar numerous times. Mm-hmm. But you tried. Yeah. A lot of swings and misses. Okay. Um, so I was like, well, it wasn't even about, you know, for fun. It was about survival at that point. I needed a place to stay. Yep. Um, so I was like, you know what? We'll just drive. We'll see how far north we can get before I can find a hotel. Literally from north Georgia to Kentucky. Nothing. Every hotel was booked. So I had to pull into a random gas station at North Carolina at the pump. I was like, oh, I'm going to pump gas. I just want to rest my eyes for 10, 10 minutes. Ten minutes quickly turned into two hours. That's where I got my sleep, woke up, finished the drive, got back to Kentucky, and uh, slept for most of Sunday. What a night. It Real was crazy quick. how busy it was. It was I'd nuts. like to now throw the nomination for Man of the Week to Brent. Oh, just getting it done. For getting going, done. literally, he, would, he wasn't going to leave. I've got doing what trip. he has to do. I- I don't want to bore people too much with our details, but I, there is a man that I do want to hear from. Now, for those listening, again, Aaron Clark from Clark Family Farms, the greatest beef in the world, spends a lot of time, for those of you that don't know the farming world super well, and we're going to ask him a couple of questions about the farming world, but for those that don't know the farming world super well, a lot of time generally gets spent picking up sticks, uh, moving sticks, moving the sticks out blue of the way. Work. It's the blue collar work. Aaron... But when you ceased picking up sticks on Saturday to give yourself time to watch the game, where did you watch the game and what did you get up to? So I went to a place called Southern Deli. Okay. <laughs> oh, great place. I didn't know about it. Shout oh, out my. Southern Deli. I, I watched the game with Luke's girlfriend, Emma. Okay. Right, well, hopefully friends. that's all you did. <laughs> and uh, we watched it there, had a good time. There's another shout-out, Luke Fortner's girlfriend, who yep. messages me every time she gets a chat on the show. So there you go, Emma. There's a shout-out. Yep. There we go, Emma. Um, I just want to say the Lexingtonian rap at Southern Deli. Like, I just marked out that you said I ate, that. I no ate one twice. About it. I ate twice. It's so good. In one game. Wow. I just kept – I was like, okay, so this is fantastic. Yeah. And then uh, we went to Tin Roof. I, I thought it was a fantastic game. A lot of people didn't, which is <laughs> mind-blowing. I don't, I don't understand it. But I want to play a quick game with you, Aaron, and then we're going to be done for the day. You chime in whenever you need to, Brent. Sure. I want to play a quick game. What part of the cow is this? So, um, steaks, T-bone steak, where's the T-bone steak come from on a cow? The beefiest part. Which which is? is, You act like I know this. You don't know? No. Okay. Uh, Where does a um, New York strip? Where does Bris- you don't know? I'm okay, telling so you, for the I pe- had a picture. This is one of the most unbelievable things to me <laughs> is that I have a cow farmer sitting in front of me that deals every day with cows, You're and I've asked Clark him this question oh, fifty times, and not only did he not know it the first fifty times I've asked him, he still hasn't ever bothered to Google it or wonder where the meat that he's selling is coming from. Mm-hmm. Why? I know that we have the best product. Okay, I know we do it right, and so when it comes down to it, I know when I'm selling it, it's good. And people have their preferences, and I just let it be. Tell us something about cows we don't know. There's that. You know, a lot of people know a lot of different things. Um, 
That is true. That's I, very deep. Know, that's a very deep comment yeah, I right mean, there. A lot of people... Are I'm an intellectual. Of, I was going to say, like, you've got Aristotle and you've got Aaron Clark. A yeah. lot of people know yeah. a lot of things. And Todd Clark's just sitting there listening to this. Oh, he is, he is right rolling. Just, shaking oh, his head. he is not having it. Um... I like to say they're just like big humans. Okay. Okay. They all Which have you've different. Which you lived with Logan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I w- <laughs> we would always joke anytime Luke, Mason, Logan would come out to the farm yep. to pick up sticks, blue collar work, just men Do doing what they, what they had. Get right in. Yep. They would stand next to the cows, and I would literally every time take a Snapchat and be like, "Show me the difference." So this is the last thing, Brent, as well before yeah. we finish up. And something that I think is absolutely incredible about Clark Family Farms yeah. is that they have, like, you, you know, you teach your dog certain things, mm-hmm. you teach your cat maybe certain things, your fish, your tadpole, whoever. They have been able to teach their cows Aaron's name. So when the cows need something, <laughs> they actually call out Aaron's name. So you walk around the farm and, like, whenever they're hungry, they go, Aaron, Aaron. So Aaron Clark has been able to teach his cows his own name. So, you know, if they get hungry or they need to move or maybe Aaron's truck's about to hit them, they just give a little, Aaron. They, they have attitudes. I'm telling you, they're like people. They're just thousand-pound, you know, people. Unbelievable. I'm going to finish with this. And I'd love to – we've got the Clark Family Farm cow expert in, yeah, in the building. spot on. We're going to play Mississippi State in mm. our next game. Mm-hmm. They are famous for the cowbells. Do the cows like it? Do they feel degraded? Uh, what do the cows think about the cowbells? I've never seen a cowbell in Kentucky, so maybe it's just a classless Mississippi Do you thing. ever use cowbells on the farm? No, I just whistle, and then I'll yell my name at them, and most of the time they, they respond. Run it. They, yep. they say it straight back. Do you oh, yeah. think Mississippi State fans should be canceled for their use of cowbells and degrading the cow community? Yes. I, I, I feel victimized by it, so I can't imagine what the cows feel like. Do, do you feel bad for the cows that have to produce skim milk and are made to be like fat shamed for the like they get fat shamed so much they have to produce skim milk you know everybody's got to have a job they have a job they got to do it and look at who's using the skim milk i think there's a reason for everything yeah so well hey i've learned a bunch about cows that i didn't know today (laughs) we just had a cow segment we've also also learned that even cow farmers don't know anything about cows which is unbelievable everyone's just winging it i've had a great time brent i'm sure you've had a great time and i am just so up to date with cows it's not funny yep it's time to go get some sleep you and me have had a long weekend that he's got a do stuff with cows so. exactly let's, let's let's get out of here we'll have miles on uh next episode hopefully and we'll have some other guests coming at you this week some special stuff for the bye week but for now thank you for listening go cats thanks thanks traveling in a fight on a hippie trail head full of zombies I met a strange lady, she made me nervous She took me in and gave me breakfast And she said, do you come from a land down under?